people always would always ask, are you in a, are you in a major? Are you in a major? And I go, no, I'm not in a major. <laughs> and now I go, and now, and now, and people would go, oh, okay, that's cool. And, and now it's different. People go, are you signed? And I go, no, no, I'm, I'm in a, a profit share with an investor. And they go, wow, that's cool. This episode is brought to you by the Mechanical Licensing Collective, also known as the MLC. Those are a lot of scary words you probably don't understand. Let me break it down for you what this means. If you want to collect your streaming royalties and you're a songwriter, you probably are going to want to sign up for the MLC. Now, this is for any songwriter or publisher that isn't currently signed up with a mechanical rights organization. In the US, this is virtually every songwriter without a publisher. What the MLC is, is they collect mechanical royalties from streaming services. So if you're a songwriter, there are two kinds of royalties that you're going to earn when your song is streamed on streaming services like Spotify and Apple Music. Those streaming royalties are, again, for songwriters, performance royalties and mechanical royalties. Performance royalties, they go to the PROs in the states that ASCAP, BMI, CSAC, global music rights, that kind of stuff. And the mechanical royalties, guess what? They only go to one organization. That's the Mechanical Licensing Collective, the MLC. The MLC, if you've never heard of them, it's because they're very new. They just started in January of 2021 and they were set up by Congress, the Copyright Office, because this was a law that was passed, the Music Modernization Act of 2018. This is the law that created the MLC because before, the streaming services didn't know where to send all that money. They would send it to Harry Fox. They'd send their music reports. They didn't know who the publishers were. That's where they're getting sued. So everybody came together like, please stop suing us. And the music industry is like, all right, fine. But we need an organization that you're going to pay for streaming services. And we want all our money. Everyone's like, all right, if you stop suing us, cool. So they created the MLC. If you're an independent songwriter and you do not have a publishing company, you should sign up for the MLC. Just like you sign up for a PRO to collect your performance royalties, you gotta sign up for the MLC to collect your mechanical royalties. But again, if you have a publishing company, they're gonna do this for you. If you're an independent songwriter, sign up for the MLC. Head over to themlc.com to sign up. Cool. Welcome to the New Music Business Podcast. I am your host, Ari Herstand, author of How to Make It in the New Music Business. Today, my guest is Ali X. She is a Canadian artist, singer, songwriter uh, that has been living in LA the last few years. She's back in Canada right now during, uh, as of recently, uh, because of the quarantine and all of that fun stuff. She is a uh, incredibly talented artist. Um, she has over 100 million total streams. She has nearly one and a half million monthly listeners on Spotify. Uh, she was supposed to go on a a massive worldwide tour this past spring. Uh, obviously, that was canceled, just like every other tour in the world. And uh, so we kind of talk about what her journey has been like the last few months and how she has shifted all of her plans and the release strategies and all of that. But then we go into uh, kind of her background and how she became Ali X and uh, as an independent artist, how she became so successful uh, doing this all independently without the support of 
a major label or really any label. Uh, she has a very interesting story and and very interesting way of doing things. Um, and I think you're really going to get a lot out of her talk. She was very candid. Uh, she had said she'd never really done an interview like this before where she dug into the nuts and bolts of everything. And But I know that's what you want to hear. That's what I want to hear. And that's what's most interesting to me. So we went deep into that. As always, please like, subscribe, follow this podcast. However you're listening to this right now, please do that. It really helps. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review. And visit ariestake.com to sign up for the email list. We let you know every time we release a new podcast episode and the current news of the industry and all the research and findings that I'm doing behind the scenes. Follow us both on Instagram. I am at Ari Herstand. She is at Allie X. Uh, you can find us also on Twitter. And you can follow the company both on Instagram or Twitter. It's at Ari's Take. All right, let's kick into the show. Allie X, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yes. Oh, we're writing a song right now. That was very, uh, we, we worked out some uh, pentameter there. That was good. Um, <laughs> where, are you, where are you coming to me from right now? Where are you based? My homeland. I'm, I'm uh, back in Canada near Toronto. Okay, and yeah. you were living in LA. Have you been living in LA, or yeah, yeah, I've okay. been there for some time now, um, and that's where I spend most of my time. But I think, like everyone, I was kind of like, why am I even in a metropolitan city yeah. right now when I can't <laughs> like? So it was quite a process getting here, though, because I wanted really? to bring my dog, and so um. and she's really scared of flying, so we we drove the whole way. Oh my. Across. All across America. Oh wow! When when did you uh, when did you make the drive? Um, we got here just over two weeks ago because we just finished our fourteen day mandatory quarantine. So yeah, that was like two weeks ah, ago. Ah, yeah, so they have like that a, for driving too then. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, we were really nervous crossing the border. Like they're they're quite strict. Yeah, I mean, most of Europe has pretty much shut down travel from the States. Um, yeah. So that's nice that Canada let you back in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's nice they let me back in. I guess you're a citizen, so that kind of helps in your favor. It does, yes. Yeah. Um, oh, wow. So you've been spending the last few months in L.A. just kind of in quarantine. Yeah, and I mean, I hadn't been in one place or at home in L.A. for longer than, I think, maybe three weeks for the last mm. couple of years before that, wow. just like constantly going somewhere. Yeah. So it was good in a way. But then I just, you know, when you're just in one place too long, it gets kind of stale. Musically, mm -hmm. I haven't been very inspired and I thought maybe um, a change of environment would be good. Yeah. And it, it has been, so yeah. Good. Um, so you just released Super Duper Party People remixes. Congrats on that coming out. Was that always Thank the you. plan for to put it out now or has just everything shifted? <laughs> no, everything shifted. Right. I, I mean, we, the, the plan for Cape God was to really, you know, really go for it. in terms Your of latest album that you released in February, Cape God? Yes, thank you. Yes. For yep. the, the background there. Um, yes, the plan for, for Cape God was to do the most intense year of promo, uh, touring, everything. Um, mm -hmm. 
And two weeks after it was released, everything basically shut down. I saw so. you had a huge <laughs> tour set up for that. It was a yeah. full North American. Then you were going to, I thought, saw some dates in Europe you had. Yeah, a bunch of dates in Europe, too. And, I mean, it was like, your tour, did you do any of the dates? Because I saw, like, the first date was end of March or mid-March or something like that, No, right? we were, yeah, so we were in rehearsals, and... Um, Every day of rehearsal, things just got bleaker in terms of like, okay, yeah, yeah, no, every, like, it was like every artist was canceling Uh, and I was like, there's no, there's no way, like, it's just not even responsible anymore at that point. So, so then we were going to try to do this digital concert and one of the musicians was coughing the night before. So we called Mm. that off as well because we just didn't want to take any risks. Yeah. And then, I mean, I, like everyone else, was sort of, like, scrambling, I think, in terms of mm-hmm. how do I act online? What do I do now? What do I... And, you know, I've been... And so I started, like, learning some new skills, like, video editing. And, and then, ultimately, I just... I actually went, no, no, no. I just... I actually really need a break, like, a legitimate break. Like, I haven't had mm-hmm. a long break in so long. Um, and so then I just kind of stopped posting, stopped writing music, stopped mm-hmm. talking to everyone hung out with my dog, walked every day, and started, like, learning how to DIY my condo. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. Nice. That was kind of, so that was, like, three months of my of my quarantine. And now yeah. I'm here and I'm in, like, a new... Now I'm all, like, creative again, so... Right, yeah. right. That's yeah. great. I mean, it, it's, it's interesting seeing that everything that people have seemed to put on the back burner for years, this is, like, the time to, like, yeah, put it yeah. to the front. It's like, well... Everything else is canceled, so I might as well redo the deck. That I might as well like finish my apartment that I thought was going <laughs> right. to take years to get. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Um, so, h- how was that for you at the start? Did you feel a lot of pressure to uh, instantly switch from because you were mentally and emotionally, I would imagine, the, uh, preparing for in, a tour? I was full throttle. Like I, right. I released the record leading up to that. I think same thing. Like. The holidays happened, 2020 started, and I was mm-hmm. in a different city every week leading mm. up to the release. Release happened, I went out to uh, Paris for Fashion Week, did these like mm-hmm. a few promo things around Europe, came back, and yeah, it was, it was, it really felt like I was like going, like to yeah. slow down the whole, and then so many emotions came with that, and yeah. I think ultimately, I personally am going to look back on this as a time that I value. I've had a lot of, Mm. um, I think I've had a lot of important insight by stopping Mm. into my business, like things like as like things like accounting. Like I've I've had time to like (laughs) look at them and be like, oh, that's a mess. Like we need to fix that. Yeah. Or emotionally, just sort of being like, whoa, girl, like you've got a lot of. baggage there that you haven't dealt with because you've just been working so hard you've sort of distracted yourself so you're gonna have Mm -hmm. to deal with that Mm -hmm. or like realizing that some things that I was doing don't even make me happy like there's so much so much that that comes with just having like time and space you know what I mean and it's been some of it's been difficult but it's been really valuable yeah Nice. I mean, that's that's great. It's been interesting talking to artists and other people in the industry on how they've been handling the shutdown and the quarantine and, and just having to 
refocus their energies and efforts um, so drastically. And uh, I mean, it's great that you're you're learning new skills, that you're you know diving into projects um, that can still feel inspiring in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, I guess, do you have you just like? pretty much stopped making plans or planning for the future anything or do you have stuff that you're working on have you started up work again uh in some ways I feel like I'm really organized because I have a handle on everything Mm -hmm. I don't know if you can relate to this but I feel like in the music industry we're always working kind of like four months ahead you're yeah. paying for things four months ahead sometimes yeah. you have to advance uh, whatever and you have to put these down payments just to go ahead with the tour or whatever and like it can become a real mess because no one's ever dealing with the little issues at hand they're working on the bigger picture things and so in some ways I feel like work-wise actually I'm feel, I feel really good because I, I can see everything and I have visibility on everything and, I, and I'm mm. able to organize it all and I'm even, I'm even able to um, like plan a year ahead with what I've got right now, which is not what I had six months ago, mm. but what I've got is, in, is enough for me to live on and so I'm kind of just I guess taking everything that I can work with. Mm-hmm. which is still subst- which is still substantial, I'm lucky mm-hmm. and just trying to I don't know, I don't want to sound like nerdy or annoying but optimize it or you know like I'm yeah. just I'm just sort of like so in a way it feels like I'm like work-wise I'm I'm really good. Yeah. Whereas before I feel like I was flailing around and just saying yes to everything. Sure. Um uh, yeah, so I don't know. And it's going to be interesting when things get back to normal if that ever happens right. i don't i don't even know exactly how i'm gonna do that yeah do you um what's what's your team look like what uh who all is kind of part of the alix team there's a lot of people on my team um there uh, there's uh, i'm with full stop uh they're my management and then okay. uh, wme are my agents okay and when you say you're with Full Stop, do you have a singular manager person there, or is it kind of a yeah. the full company that's you have various people you work with? Yeah, I used to work with Danny Russin and Brandon Creed, and okay. now I'm working with Evan Winokur and Zach Phillips. Gotcha. Um, full Stop's been great. Full How Stop's long have been, you been with them? Let's see. I moved over there 2017, three okay. years. Cool. That's they, I I didn't have great management experiences bef- before that, so okay. that that was that was really nice when I finally found some management that that were good. <laughs> sure. Um, and um, yeah, WME I've been with my whole um, AliX journey. Mark mm-hmm. Geiger was always my guy, my champion at WME. Sure. He's he's leaving, as everyone knows. Um, mm-hmm. But. Uh, Everyone, like all his assistants have always been amazing as well. So cool. um, I've been very happy with WME. And, you know, business manager, Myman Greenspan Legal. Um, mm-hmm. Then my label. I mean, this is probably like the most uh, non-traditional part of my whole business is that right. I, have a, I have a profit share agreement with an investor. That's my label. Oh. Yeah. 
Wow. Okay. That's interesting. I want to talk about that. Um, yeah, yeah. W- how did that happen and when did that happen and what does it look like? And share as much of the behind it's the scenes as you can. It's a crazy story. Yeah. And I hope that, I mean, I never, I've never done a, a talk like this publicly. So um, I hope I don't say anything that I'm not supposed to. <laughs> Um, You can review the contract afterwards and we'll bleep it out or something if we need to. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, I work with a guy named Nick Gatfield and he's a, he's based in London in the UK. When I first put out um, my very, my very first song catch, um, I had that, that, uh, you know, overnight everyone's interested thing. After trying for 10 years to get it, I found right. <laughs> um, and and so everyone was calling all the majors and Nick Gatfield was actually, but he was the first one. He was the head of Sony UK. Okay. And he was at Sony UK and he, he wanted to talk on the phone. He's like, we're flying you out next week. I, I love your demos. I love uh, your thing. I think you're, you have so much potential, blah, blah, blah. I want to sign you. And so like, I got that really nice treatment and like taken to all the nice dinners and the nice mm-hmm. meetings, put in some good sessions. And, and I really liked Nick. I was like this, like so many executives are just total douchebags. Right. And you sure. don't, and as a woman, you don't feel comfortable a lot of the time. Nick was a gentleman. He was really funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, this guy's cool. Like I've got a really good feeling about him. So I fly back to LA with kind of the intention of like, he sounds good. Let's go have, so I didn't, I was so green. I was like, let's do it. So I go and I Google him when I get back to LA. This is a day after I got back and it says Nick Gatfield fired uh, as head of Sony UK. No. (laughs) Yeah, and which I learned is a totally, is is something that happens all the time. Oh yeah, you can't fall in love with people at labels because you don't sign with people, you sign with the companies and, and it's in black and white. Yeah, and so that's sort of like, the first part of that story. And then the second part is after that, I met with a whole bunch of other labels and, um, I just had this really, I had like crazy hot headed management at the time. Mm. And I don't want to name names or get into any of that, but basically lots of things went down and where deals had been fully on the table and they were ready to compete with each other. They were gone three months later. Wow. So I was left with 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 no options. However, I wanna, oh sorry, keep going. Okay, keep going. yeah, I'll just finish this. So so no, no, Nick, please, had, please. so when I saw that Nick had been um, let go from Sony UK, I actually yeah. emailed him that week and I said, "Please stay in touch. I think you're I think you're so cool, and I really I, I I'd love to stay in touch. Basically, um, I really uh-huh. hit it off with you, and so." He and I stayed in touch, and he ended up starting his own artist incubator uh, called Twin Music. But even before that, like he was, he was always like, if I had some, I had so much drama that that went down after that period when everything fell apart, and I was I was left penniless and with no help and nowhere to live and all these things. No cell, like my cell phone got cut off. All this crazy shit, mm. and I had all these industry questions. And Nick was always there to just um, advise me as an experienced friend, like he would, he, without asking for anything. And so we kind of had that kind of relationship for at least a year and a half, two years. Then he started Twin and I was the fledgling artist there. And we just, 
uh, we've we've worked together ever since with really uh, a, a great working relationship. We we argue over creative differences, but we have respect for each other. He awesome. lets me always see my vision through. Um, cool. And I feel like a business partner. So nice. I'm very I'm actually very happy that things went down the way they did. Mm. So uh, where did the funding come from for Twin Music? Is that this investor? Is Nick the investor? And is that Nick's the profit the share that you have? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, he's, uh, I, you should interview him because he's got a lot of, sure. a lot of, ex- he worked with like Radiohead and Amy Winehouse and um, mm-hmm. all these amazing people throughout his career. Uh, cool. And he ended up after being the head of, uh, I forget the other labels were. What was the one that started with Poly something that's not around anymore? Polygram? Um, yeah, Polyphone or uh, Polyphone something maybe, like that. Yeah, I don't, don't want to give yeah. misinformation, but he, he's, he's been like the boss everywhere and he just sort of stopped believing in the major label system. And, and, sure. and, and um, I think he has his hands in like some technology and stuff as well. Like he's he kind of like diversified himself and yeah. I'm not sure like, I'm not sure like what the, where the money comes from exactly. But, sure. um, so that's break down what, what that means when you're saying like profit share and investor and that kind of stuff is like, what is, it means. Yeah. It, what it means is that I, I, I still own 50% of my recordings and we, okay. we share the profit. And he act, so, and, and they act as a label essentially. Like they, we work it. with a wall, yep. and they, yeah, and they will, um, they'll act as a label in terms of like you know ingestion and pitching and right. making sure that the artworks, whatever. Uh, there's a person there who helps you with socials, who like uh, content uh, creation, sure. that sort of thing. On the creative side, I do I do most of it. Yeah, and I have my own people that I work mm-hmm. with. Um, but they provide the basic label services. Nick brings to the table a lot of experience, a lot of a, a great ear. He was actually mm-hmm. in this band called Dexy's Midnight Runners, and they did okay. um, this. What's that famous song? Oh yeah, yeah, of yeah, course. Yeah. Um, right, 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 right. Um, come on, Eileen. Come on, Eileen. Eileen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he's a musician, which is cool too. So cool. you know. He really, he'll really care about the mix and everything. And that's always been cool. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I ended up in this situation where I, an incredibly controlling anal and like, yeah, to a fault where I annoy people kind of person ended up with a business partner who sort of, he's very patient. He's very kind and calm. And like, we just work really well together. And I almost feel like if I'd signed to one of those big deals that was on the table back in those days, I feel like I would mm. have been dropped by now mm. and sure. maybe had a bad taste in my mouth, you know, with whoever, or yeah. maybe not, maybe not, but it's been such a, a development for me. Mm. I've never had a record or a song that was like, you know, like, yeah. so, and that's what they're all looking for. Mm-hmm. Right. Is So when you say profit share and so you own 50% of your music, are you uh, sharing in the revenue of everything, of tours, merch, everything? Yeah. Gotcha. Um, okay, cool. And then actually, I think I own a hundred percent of merch. They they have a piece of physical uh, music, Got like it. vinyl or whatever. But I think any apparel or whatever, I think that's all mine. And for tours, are they sharing in that revenue as well? Yeah. 
Okay. I mean, but you also have to consider that, you know, to do a big tour for me, we're still, we're barely ever profiting. We're usually just okay. breaking even. Yeah. 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 So, um, I'm curious in, I'm, Everyone who's listening to this is probably wondering when you're like, the first song I released exploded and everybody, <laughs> I was taking all these label meetings. Now, now, granted, you were an artist under the name Allie Hughes for, what, 10 A years while. or something? A while. Yeah. And then, like, take me from that point to how you came up with Allie X to this first song, quote, like, exploding and then every label <laughs> having these offers on the table. Because that's yeah. not, Yeah. I mean, I'll say about my explosive song, Catch, it didn't <laughs> explode in data, which okay. is often, nowadays, actually, I think it's it's more important than it was, that was um, six years ago, I think. Okay. And, uh, yeah, six years ago. It was more hype. It was the fact that uh, Katy Perry had tweeted about it, and that Neon it. Gold, who were a really important blog at the time, had posted it, and that... Sure all this press had picked it up. Got so it. that was kind of what it was. It wasn't like I had, it was like millions of streams on its first week, like viral, right. like it wasn't viral. Um, which is really what a lot of labels look for nowadays. Um, yeah. But yeah, to get to that point, I mean, <laughs> I almost want to cry and laugh at the same time because oh. it was just, it was such a long journey. And then following that, it's been a really long journey as well. Yeah. Um, so I, I was making, I was, I started writing music kind of late, like after college and I'd done like classical and musical theater till then, which now I regret. I wish I just like learned how to do garage band and spent all my time doing that as a teenager. Um, sure. but I was doing like Bach and like <laughs> Rieg <laughs> and like, <Right. laughs> and then like Sondheim. Um, so it took me a while to actually get to the writing. And when I got to the writing, it was like girl at a piano who sounded like she went to musical theater school. Sure, right, right. So it took me years to find my style. It took me years mm. to find my sound. The turning point was really when I started to produce myself, when I learned Ableton. That was cool. huge because I, I, I could work as much as I wanted. Mm. In Canada, in Toronto, it's very different in sessions. You're usually paying for studio time, and I had no money. So I was always limited on wh how much time I could spend in the studio. Sure. So when I started to produce, everything just kind of, even if my demos sounded like lo-fi and shitty, like you got the idea, you you had the MIDI programmed for the cool bass line, you, ha you, know, you had the drum pattern that I wanted, then you could just yep. make it sound better. Cool. And that was when the AliX sound kind of um, started to emerge. That's when I wrote Catch, mm. uh, this song called Tongue Tie that leaked but never came out, and this song called Prime. And, um, I mean, catch, catch, catch has like, if I go into my old iTunes, I have like 20 versions of it. Like <laughs> some are, have yeah. a swung beat. Some don't. I tried yeah. singing all these other different ways, all these different productions. And finally I working with these other two producers, we landed on the sound. Um, okay. and they took my demos for prime and tongue tied and just made them sound better. And that mm. was when I felt that I had like the, that's when I felt like I had what I needed to even go to LA because to, to get anywhere, you need to have the songs already. Yeah. Or at least that's kind of how I felt. Mm -hmm. Or you need to have a lot of money 
to, so, sure. so you can just cover your cost of living for two sure. years as you develop right. your catalog, you which yeah. I, yeah, I didn't. So I was able to finagle my way into a publishing deal. Um, and they only How saw is- me as a writer at that time. How do you finagle your way into a publishing deal? Everyone wants to know. They come to L.A. That's the dream. You come to L.A. and the next day I got a pub deal. How does that happen? It was it was chance. And it was in some ways it wasn't a great deal to sign. But it was um, it was what I needed to get my foot in the door. And it was what I needed to get in with <clears throat> immediately with the, with the right crowd, which was at the time it was all the prescription songs people. Okay. Um, so I ended Did up signing. Did you meet any of those people beforehand? Yeah, yeah. No, no. I mean, okay. So this is what happened. <clears throat> I was in Toronto still, and I was just at that point where I was finding like the sound that I was just talking about that ended up yeah. being the Aliak sound. And at the same time, I was doing a residency at the Canadian Film Center as um, a resident songwriter slash composer, mm-hmm. which was cool. It was like it was like I was getting like a grant to be there, and and so I. I kind of convinced them that they should take us to LA on a trip to like meet, meet other composers. Cool. But while I was there, I was like, is it cool if you guys like, cause I literally, I didn't have $500 to fly to LA. Like I was yeah. broke. And while I was there, I was like, is it cool if you guys switch my, my return ticket to a week later? And I stayed on my friend's couch and just without knowing what the fuck I was doing, just sent a zillion emails to anyone that I could think, like a Canadian that knew somebody that knew somebody that lived in LA kind of a thing. On the most part, nobody wrote me back or they write me back and say, oh, I'm not available this week or, and I just, there was this one company um, called Dream Machine and they were a publishing company that that had been, founded under circuit circuits of producer and uh-huh. and he's canadian mm. i knew somebody who knew somebody i took a meeting and they were just like really i don't know they were young and excited and in a way their inexperience is why they signed me i think or why <laughs> they took a chance on me and yeah. i was persistent i mean i still am i'm really like uh I'm not like a salesman, but I will keep emailing you. And like, I've always kind of been like that. And so that it was, I guess, a combination of that. And then, you know, they got lucky because I'm actually good. Like, and I just need, I just need, I just needed someone to give me a shot. Sure. And once I was in those rooms, producers were like, oh, wow, you're good. Like, and, Mm -hmm. and we're making cool, I was making cool demos right away. Mm. But it, yeah, like they were only really seeing me as a, as a songwriter, and it was like mm. kind of six months into me moving to LA, they started to understand that I, uh, they they started to see me as an artist, which yeah. I secretly knew that I was, but I was yeah. like scared to. I just wanted to be like, okay, you're signing me, like it's right. good. Get get me re- my visa and like. <laughs> right, 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 right. And like, I didn't even have a bed, but I was, I was like, just let me have this room where I'm sleeping <laughs> on the floor. And <laughs> that's amazing. No, I love that, yeah. and that's the thing. The, the key to the industry is polite persistence, and it's great to hear. I mean, I love hearing the behind the scenes story of how the things happen, because yeah. oftentimes we don't, you know, like you've struggled, you've been through it all. And like artists are out there trying to figure out how to do it and not understanding necessarily what it takes. And like a pub deal didn't just show up like you worked for it. You worked every possible connection that you had. Anyone who knew anyone, like you said, and then <laughs> you kept ridiculous. going. That's yeah. fantastic. No, that's great. That's what it takes. And that's like, do you know, do you know Nasri? No, he's a, pro- he's a producer. He's done like a lot of 
pop pop with like Justin Bieber and stuff. And okay. I knew someone who was signed to him and he would not, his, his brother was managing him and he would not get back to me. So I just drove to his office and no, showed up didn't. and I was like, we talked about having a meeting, right? And then and he was like, all right. <laughs> like, no shit. Down. Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> and, he, and I mean, he, he was not into what I was, I only had sure. shitty, shitty demos at that time. So he did yeah. not get what I was, but yeah, like that, that's what I was like. Good I was for like, you. Okay. I was like, this is, I'm in LA. Just being mm-hmm. a Canadian and getting to LA is—it's a challenge. Sure. Um, yes. Especially if you don't have any money, but on the visa side as well, it's not like I could just stay there. Like I had right. my week. I was mm. like, I need to get—I need to get something done. Mm. And I did. Good for you. That's- this episode is brought to you by the MLC, the Mechanical Licensing Collective. Don't tune out. This is really important. If you're a songwriter based in the United States. You need to listen to this. If you've never heard of the MLC, well, it's time that you've heard of them. This is the organization that was set up by the Music Modernization Act, but in 2018, all of this nonsense, you don't actually need to know. That's not important. What is important is that if you are a songwriter and you do not have a publishing company, you are not collecting all of your songwriter royalties, specifically your mechanical royalties. There are two kinds of songwriter royalties when your songs are streamed on Spotify, Apple Music, and the rest. Those are performance royalties, which are collected by your performing rights organization, like an ASCAP or a BMI. And there are mechanical royalties. These royalties are now, by law, only collected by the MLC. So if you're not a member of the MLC, you're not getting these royalties. Unless you have a publisher. If you don't have a publishing company or an independent songwriter, you need to sign up for the MLC to get your mechanical royalties. And you need to sign up for, of course, a performing arts organization to get your performance royalties. So head on over to themlc.com and sign on up. Thank me later. So, so, so okay, the AliX thing is interesting. So, um, I, so you found your sound. Now, how did the aesthetic, because AliX is, is, it's a very specific visual aesthetic and so much of the AliX brand is visual and you've done so many fashion weeks and you've teamed up with, with brands and, and, you know, photographers and designers and all of this. I feel like AliX is, is as much the sound as it is the aesthetic. It's all kind of, it's. The aesthetic is so poignant that I'm curious to know, did that come, were you working on that before you released your first song or has it evolved through the process? Yeah, um, I, the aesthetic has always been really important to me. I may start rambling, um, but I'm going to try <laughs> okay. to explain kind of how sure. that happened. Um, I think th- throughout school, like I was always... I wasn't uh, bullied in a in a terrible way, but I was always made fun of a bit. I was always a bit weird. I was mm-hmm. never sought after by guys. Like no no one was ever attracted to me, and I never felt attractive. Mm. Um, and when I started playing music, I guess you know uh, Canadian labels used to kind of pop into shows and stuff, and no one was ever understanding what I was doing. No one, and my music wasn't that great at that time. And I guess I just kind of learned from all those 20 odd years of, of like rejection and not seeing um, myself ever wearing like a cute, sexy outfit. Like I just, I felt like I needed to represent myself in a way that was 
appealing for other reasons. And that's mm. when I started to, I started to collect images around the same time I started to produce. Mm. And I used to just build, uh, you know, boards of kind of how, even if it wasn't how I wanted to look, it would sometimes just be an obscure photo that would give me like the feeling. And I ended up this feeling and I ended up calling that feeling X. Um, cool. And I mean, a lot of it's just that Tumblr style imagery, but it really resonated with me. And, um, and I found, I found that after all those years of searching and producing and collaborating and collecting and musing, when I arrived to Los Angeles, I had my pitch ready and I didn't mm -hmm. think of it in those terms, but now I do. I had mm -hmm. my three songs. They were, mm -hmm. they were sounding good. They were interesting. And I had my style and it was a package that was, that was like ready to it, people understood. Sure. And that was a really good feeling. Um, and I don't know, moving, for, moving forward into like all the albums and, and all the images I've done, it's just something now that, I really enjoy and and like you said I see it uh, almost as important as the music in the project. Are you the creative director behind uh, yes. most of the art that's put out? Yeah, always, yeah. Always. I I, I always um I never take the photos myself. I never mm -hmm. um edit the videos myself, but I pick uh the photographer, I give them the references and I sit behind the editor and say you should cut there or whatever, you know. So cool. I'm always uh yeah, I think it's fair to say I'm the creative director. What Do you have any tips for um, independent artists who may have this this vision, like they've put together the boards, the vision boards, and, and they yeah. have an aesthetic and a style, but they don't have the money to hire the pro photographers, makeup artists, and designers, and don't can't afford the outfits that they're envisioning, or... What are, what are your like kind of DIY tips to those people? Be like, how do they get this kind of thing together? Yeah, I mean, it's it's how I got started actually. It, it's it's not as difficult as one may think because you find you find those same ambitious young makeup artists, hairstylists, photographers that mm. don't have their portfolio together, but they have that one that have that one photo that really resonates with you. And they're excited to um, to push their uh, push their their art. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I always find that maybe it's just because I bring so much excitement and passion to the table when I'm working with visual collaborators. Mm -hmm. But I always I, I've always managed to get it done because I say like, okay, well we're we're not going to shoot in a studio because we can't afford the day rate. Let's shoot outside or or. Mm -hmm. um, I know that I know this the showroom really likes me and they they have this designer there and I'm sure they'll give me one look for one day for a good rate or I, I don't cool. know like or a makeup artist who a makeup artist in LA is usually bored as fuck at what they're doing <laughs> they're doing the same glamorous right. thing over and over so when I when they people seek me out now this this is cool. something that's happened in the last three years creatives like that just so they can do something different yeah um, yeah so is that I guess something it pays, where you, it pays to be, be weird, I guess, in, in, yeah. to, as in one answer to your question. Well, and, yeah, and, and, yeah, and to have a vision and uh, to kind of be passionate about that vision and inspire that uh, passion within others uh, around your vision. Now, were you 
like seeking out makeup artists from you're in LA. So like from TV shows or on Instagram, are you noticing like who is tagging who or like what was the process like to actually find these people? The way that I started on the like curatorial uh, photo shoot kind of thing was I I was at my friend's house in LA looking through her. She had some really cool art magazine, some indie art magazine on her table. And I saw, uh, I saw four photos by this photographer that I loved, and I I didn't know the photographer, so I'm look I'm like looking for her name, and oh, it's Logan White, hmm. and 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 I said I'm gonna find Logan White. Turns out she lived in L.A., so that was good. Um, nice. And I just reached out and said, Hey, can we meet? I love your work. I really mm. want to work with you. And so she uh, agreed to work with me, and we. Um, she was the one actually. She she because she knew so many more people. She was the one who brought the stylist um, and the makeup artist to the table, mm-hmm. and uh, but sort of like once once you meet those ones, then you meet other ones, and and now nowadays I do so much uh, of the reaching out on Instagram and. You know, once you once you're like verified on Instagram, you've got a certain number of followers. There is a good chance that you'll get like a response. Sure. So that yep. that always works in my favor now. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I just kind of wing it. I guess I, I I know what I. Another piece of advice I have actually is to let those creatives let them do their ideas as well because mm. they're sick of being told what to do, and they sure. have so they have so many things they want to try out. So. I've done more and more of that um, through my last two records, and it it cool. always pays off. It so al- it's almost like a collaboration amongst exactly. artists, and so exactly. obviously, like you know, their vision. Uh, you're not going to release anything as Ali X uh, that doesn't fall in line with your uh, aesthetic and your brand. Yeah. And if they want to try something out, you know, you could almost like model for them and they could put it in their portfolio that you necessarily totally. wouldn't release I yourself. Mean, or the the beauty of editorial is by definition, it's about pushing boundaries and, and maybe putting a mm. familiar face in a, in a not familiar look. Yeah. Your and looks lo- are all over the place. And it, it's yeah. pretty cool to see how but, versatile but, it is. But are they all over the place with the Cape God imagery? No. I, can, I keep True. that consistent because it's my album art. Um, right. Good point. Yeah. Yes. But in terms of editorial, yeah. I'm always like, mm-hmm. I'm always like if you got an idea, let's try it. Um, yeah. And it's fun. So that's great. And so when it came, when it comes to an album rollout and release like Cape God, um, what is that process like in terms of from the conception and when, when uh, does that aesthetic come into play and how do you put uh, all of that together in terms of the process from the writing, producing, recording, release strategy? Oh my god, my head is just spinning thinking about it. <laughs> it's a, it's such a process, especially when you as the artist want to oversee absolutely everything. Sure. Um So I mean, it always starts with the music for me. Uh Regulars, Fresh Laundry and Rings a Bell, which are on my record Cape God, were all written on uh, a trip to Stockholm working with um Oscar Gores and James Allen. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
that was just a trip just to write. I mean, I, I hadn't even released my EP at that time, Super Sunset. So I was just out there because it was a great opportunity to work with those guys. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden we had this new sound um, and it didn't sound like anything I'd done, but it felt really right. And I was like, oh, I think this is my next thing. And cool. so, yeah, I kind of knew after those first three songs that it was a body of work. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew what I was feeling and what I was envisioning at the time. And by the time I was back in July, that was March, I was back in July of that year, 2018, I knew that it was called Cape God and I knew that it was sort of a reference to um, my teenage years as well as this um, like non-existent East Coast mythical landscape (laughs) of Cape Cod. Sure. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, and then, and then, I mean, I had to, I only had, I had very limited time with, with Oscar because he's MXM and very in demand. And, um, so I wrote, we wrote one, two, three, uh, I think we wrote seven songs in Sweden. And then the rest of 12 were demos that I did in LA with my favorite writers and then produced with Oscar. Mm. And while you were doing this, uh, were you also thinking about uh, any of the rollout or strategy or anything like that? Or was it music first, once the record is done, then you started to think about, okay, now how are we going to put this out? Uh, I think I was thinking about it in loose terms because it's exciting to do that. Uh, So I think I knew that I... I knew that I wanted to drip it out at first. I knew that this was not something my fans were necessarily expecting from me, and I wanted to be able to uh, ease them into it. I knew some mm-hmm. of them wouldn't like it. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted. I felt like a fall-winter record, so I wanted the rollout to be fall-winter. Um, what else? How long? I, uh, just. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. One last thing is I knew aesthetically it was going to be a complete departure from like the crazy drag, um, plastic, colorful thing that I'd done for Super Sunset. So, sure. uh, and, and I, w- I was looking at the photography of Gregory Crutzen while I was writing as inspiration. Oh, okay, cool. So that was this, cool. that was the aesthetic inspiration. Nice. Yeah. And, um, what was the rollout process like? How many singles did you release and how far apart uh, before the, the full album? They were about a month apart and we did quite a few. We did Fresh Laundry, Regulars, Rings a Bell, Love Me Wrong, Double I Know. So five singles before the record came Oh, out. wow. Great. So it was about five, six months before the actual album release yeah. that you could kind of Prime, yeah. prep, the whole thing. Yeah. And I had a monster support tour uh, in the fall as we were dripping them out. So Who was that with? Marina, uh, Marina and the, formerly Marina and the Diamonds. Oh, cool. Um, Great. All through yeah. Europe and a bit in the States. And so in my head, I was like, I think it makes sense to be dripping these out. The live show kind of completely changed because the sound of the music changed. So like, sure. I felt like I had a chance to sort of get a lot of new fans mm-hmm. and uh before the record came out looking back i think i could have just dropped the record <laughs> and it wouldn't have made that much of a difference but sure i don't think there was any harm done either yeah what are some of the promotional marketing strategies because you're an independent artist um 
and it seems you work very closely with your team. Um, what are some of the promotional marketing strategies that you all kind of used for this release that are maybe different now than you would have done three, four, five years ago, something like that? We really committed to me touring for the first time, um, okay. which costs a lot. Sure. And it was definitely worth it, in my opinion. I feel really confident on stage. Um, and it was great to have a chance to, like, really settle into my set, like, go for mm -hmm. months, you know? Um, and especially in the European market, I, f I feel like we had a really huge growth there. Because when I went mm -hmm. to, s to sell my first European tour, a lot of it sold out. And that was, awesome. that was a really nice surprise. So sure. um, I think on the live side, we, we really committed for the first time. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of digital spend, I don't actually, that's one of the things I don't know too much about. Um, it's always just kind of like Instagram, Facebook ads algorithm yeah. blah 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 right um one thing that was great about this round was uh the london office of a wall got really behind the record i never had cool. felt a wall support this strong before okay I felt like cool. they prioritized me in the uk which was nice yeah um i'm not sure like uh, on the did you on have the any uh, video spend, strategies that you were um were you doing lyric videos music videos that kind of stuff yeah, so we created, um, we did this whole album art shoot in upstate New York in, in real nature locations. And while we were there, we had two shooting days and we got uh, seven different looks. Mm. For each one, we got also um, video that we could loop into GIF format or yeah. just loop into like a reverse, um, which still looks cool. And that's what we use for lyric videos. Yeah. And... The um, lyric videos are really cool and interesting, and it's like like the June thanks. gloom one where you're in the desert, just kind of spinning, spinning, <laughs> and it, yeah. right. But you're not spinning; it's the camera. It's like it's the different. No, it, it's it like is. You, it's me. Are you actually frame by spinning? Frame. Oh, yeah. that's what's going on. Okay. Yeah, it's it's just a you, it's it's still photos looped. Right, so you, right, right. You go one, two, three, and you get about eight usually. Um, cool. I've been doing that since my first record. Um, mm -hmm. It's. But then I stopped for Super Sunset, and then they're like, she's spinning again. Yeah. <laughs> <It's great. laughs> right. And um, that, that's great. Um, yeah, the, the lyric videos, they're quite compelling, which is cool. And yeah, there's cool. not, like, a lot that needs to be done necessarily. It's just, like, they're, they're done in an artistic way that's, like, captivating, even though it's just a lyric video and, and it's not, you know, the full. Yeah, and, yeah. and I mean... This sort of relates to your one of your previous questions, um, those spinning gifts. That that's what I put out with with catch as my first thing, and I had a different one for Prime, which came mm -hmm. second, and and um, and one for my song Bitch as well, which came third. Mm -hmm. And that was a way of doing something in motion on the cheap because we yep. didn't have budget for video. Yeah. But I I created something that was interesting and different looking and and definitely captivated some people so i think for people that don't have budgets for video you know you you can get creative with stuff like that and you can also make fucking cool videos with like no money like mm -hmm. sometimes better like my bitch video 
is at the 99 cent store completely improvised on a on a tiny little camera attached to a shopping cart and amazing <laughs> i think it's better than some of my expensive videos so sure you know it just you don't always need a big budget to make something cool <laughs> right right no i mean absolutely it's all the the videos that kind of catch and stick out and people will share and remember are the ones that are creative and sometimes innovative and, and it's yeah. just doing something a little bit different totally um so you posted uh, in April about um, how the Canadian government has oh, yeah. supported you and helped <laughs> you out and through like Radio Star Maker Fund. Can you talk a little bit about uh, how the Canadian government has supported you? Yes. Bless the Canadian government. <laughs> yeah. They have filled in the gap between my investment deal and, you know, the budget that I have if I was a major label artist. Um mm. It's it's substantial money. Um, they I wouldn't have been able to do these lengthy tours without them. Basically, Canada is um, they have these uh, programs, a few different ones. There's the um, the Factor grants. There's Star Maker grants is another one. There's one called I think the OAC. I don't know. And then there's like a bunch of film grants and like dance grants that I don't even know about. I just know about the music hmm. ones. The Canadian, the government is just, ha I don't know, they're really supportive of, of artists. And even when I was starting out and I had uh, no resume or experience to my name, I, I got a little $5,000 grant then to make a demo. Wow. And, you know, it's a way for Canadian musicians to um, always make a living and, and make records. It's still going to be kind of like a humble living, but... but sure. um, it's it's it i think it makes us all a bit more calm in in canada even if you're working at a smaller scale because the government's got got your back and and you mm. know that you're going to get that that amount that you need to make your next record and that amount that you need to um pay your band on tour or whatever wow. in my case i the star maker grant has they've been so so generous with me i guess because i'm probably um I'm the perfect candidate for it because I'm not a huge artist like Justin Bieber or Drake that that doesn't even think about grant money. I don't even know if they know that exists. <laughs> but not. I but I am international and I have an international fan base and I'm super active and ambitious. So sure. the idea of this grant is to get behind an, an artist like that and get them to the next uh, level. And mm -hmm. that's they that's what they've done. I mean, mm. just with without their help, like I said, I wouldn't have been able to tour. So. That's incredible. What does it take to apply and what is that process like to apply for these grants? It's complicated. You you need, uh, I mean, most people are going to hire a grant writer and the grant writer oh. will take a commission. Okay. But they'll guarantee that it's done properly. And um, I mean, I still always need to give information and answer questions um, for these grant applications, but I have... I'd even mention on my team, yeah, I have a whole Canadian counterpart as well. I have mm. like my UK people, everyone I named is in the US, then I have the UK label, then I have um, my friends in Canada, they do the grants for me and they also bring me like local gigs and opportunities. Amazing. And yeah. they're okay with you living in LA um, to, to receive these grants? Yes, but if I gave up my citizenship and became a US citizen, I would not be eligible. Aha. Okay. Yeah. Another reason to keep that Canadian citizenship. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> cool. 
That is fantastic and amazing, and uh, how I wish we had something similar to that in the States. I know. Um, it's, I'm, we're very fortunate with that in Canada. Mm-hmm. That's great. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, what we have, it's the private uh, equivalent, which doesn't even come close, uh, is, is Music Cares, uh, you know, run yeah. by the Recording Academy. And they're they're great. They step in um, in in like emergency cases. I've heard of of situations where an artist uh, uh, needed like hospital bills paid, and wow. they applied for uh, a grant from Music Cares and received it, and were able to pay hospital bills. So they're That's they're great. really they're a great organization. Um, you know, during this COVID crisis, um, they were writing. Um, checks to artists but it was limited to about a thousand dollars per artist because there was so much demand um you know and that that can help but it's it's not even close to what is is needed um and you know when you say it's substantial i'm i'm imagining like tens of thousands of dollars yeah like that's there's no equivalent to that in the states um you know there are some like state by state uh, and even city by city, like Los Angeles is working on the city council is working on kind of passing some artist grant form a thing, you know, but it's only yeah. for like $1,500 maximum, which yeah. is nice. But it's like it's, it's we don't invest as a country in the arts. Um, the, uh, the arts in the states are the first program to get cut at every school, yeah. uh, always the first to get cut. And it's the last to be funded. And so it's yeah. which is funny, though, because all the most um the highest uh, grossing art in the world mostly comes from the United States, and California right. is the richest state because of the entertainment industry. So it You'd would make think sense there'd be to, some support. Yeah, yeah. But I guess, I guess one thing I can say though is that in Canada you don't have the opportunities that you have in the states. So in okay. a way, you you have a better shot at actually making a living if you live in Nashville or Los Angeles as a songwriter, in my opinion. Um, yes. Like a good living. And in yes. Canada, I think, I think Canada makes up with its grants for the lack of opportunity and the lack of like, I hate this saying, this uh, phrase, but like star system, like, like, like we're we're all very like humble in Canada and we don't, sure. you know, we don't like get behind in a big way our artists. So I do have, you know, I, I, I think that that is why this system is in place. And maybe if, if in a hundred years from now, we're more competitive with the United States, who, who knows if it'll, if it'll be the same. I don't know, but I'm grateful. Very grateful. A <laughs> hundred years, like maybe five years, uh, the way that things are going right now with our country. So <laughs> I, I, be, I said I would the other day, I was like, do you, I was like with global warming and everything that's going on in the States, I was like, do you think that the states will go to war with Canada. My dad's like, they won't go to war with Canada. They'll just take Canada. <laughs> oh God, I hope not. I hope Canada takes us. <laughs> to be honest, but uh, yeah. Oh man. Um, well, I have um, one final question. Thank you for for chatting with me and breaking things down so uh, intimately. And I know that you know most interviewers pro- you probably don't go into the nuts and bolts like no, this. But that's, no, no, but yeah. you know it's it's fun for me. Um, I'm no longer shrouded in the veil of mystery that I I was when I, when I started this and for, you know, reasons that I chose, it's just, I like, I like people, I I like the, the alley that's out there that doesn't know this stuff. I want her to hear this because Mm -hmm. I think if I had heard something like this, it would have been helpful. So 
Absolutely. And, and the alley out there, all the alleys out there very much appreciate your candor and, and it's, <laughs> it's so illuminating and very helpful. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's really great hearing the behind the scenes of your story and how it kind of, you know, all happened for you and because it didn't happen, you made it happen. And that's what I think is so important for people to hear that are struggling or getting started or emerging or whatever you want to call it. Is that like, because right, you said you had the overnight success after 10 years after of working your years. ass off. Yeah. And still it's been, it's been a journey and it's been something that you, but it's also great to hear that you are in the driver's seat and that you are the director behind everything. It's not like, you know, a boardroom full of old white men that are just like moving chess pieces around for you and like saying, go here, go here, do this, do that. No, it's like you I, are I, doing this. Yeah. And I think that does work for some artists. It definitely, it wouldn't have worked for me. I, I, I I've never been like an obvious choice. I've always had to sort of show people why hmm. I'm worth it, you know, and I and that's now deeply ingrained in me and and um it's given me even though I just put myself down, it's also given me like a real confidence um hmm. in I mean, when someone really believes that you can't do it something and then you do it, it feels really good. <laughs> it hmm. feels really empowering. Um yeah. and so if <laughs> someone's listening that is isn't the obvious choice, and doesn't have labels approaching them just because their song isn't gone viral or because the look isn't right or whatever, you know, it's, it's, um, you can, you can do it. You have to find your own way. You have to find your own path. Absolutely. Um, so the, the question I ask everybody who comes on the show is, um, how do you define what it means to make it in the new music business? Hmm. I've been thinking about that a lot lately, uh, and I don't, I don't have the answer. I, I think living comfortably on the art is, I mean, if you're doing that, then you've made it in a way. If you're, if you feel like stable, I think you need to feel happy too. Like that's, that's something that I struggle with more. Like it's so stressful. Mm. Yeah. Um, it definitely doesn't have to do with signing a record deal. I'll say that it doesn't. I mean, it's starting, yeah. you know, it's so funny when I, when I first moved to LA and I started um, being in all these rooms, these writing rooms. And after all that stuff went down and I was not a signed artist, people always would always ask, are you in a, are you in a major? Are you in a major? And I go, no, I'm not in a major. <laughs> and now I go, and now, and now, and people would go, oh, okay, this is cool. And and now it's different. People go, are you signed? And I go, no, no, I'm I'm in a, a profit share with an investor. And they go, wow, that's cool. Like the, the attitude has changed. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I feel really happy with with um, mm. the decision to go that that non traditional path. Um, so I don't think. And I mean, yeah, like these these executives, like with with all the movements that have happened in the last year, we just see how outdated and how dinosaur like a lot of the people in charge are. And mm-hmm. I think the I think the young generation is so smart. I'm just I'm I'm excited in a lot of ways to see what happens with all the arts um, because mm-hmm. things have really shifted. Definitely. Ali X, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was uh, very insightful and fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Totally. Okay. And we are...
Real quick, I wanna let you know about TuneCore. Well, I'm sure you already know about TuneCore, but you might not know that TuneCore recently, over the last couple of years, has changed a lot of its platform for the better. And, uh, you know, I've been I've been talking and reviewing TuneCore uh, for the last, gosh, 10, 12 years or so. And this is the biggest update to TuneCore that they have ever done. And this is a great move from TuneCore. What they've done is they moved to an unlimited pricing plan. So where we're at kind of in the current stage of release strategy and recommended practices for how to release your music. Yeah, you got to be releasing more music more frequently than just dropping an album once every three years. So to uh, accommodate this, they now have an unlimited pricing tier, which means you can distribute unlimited music for an annual price. They have also integrated splits, payment splitting. So whether you want to cut your cutting your producer or other collaborators, maybe some session musicians, you want to cut them into some of your streaming revenue, you can do that very easily on the TuneCore platform. And another thing that I love about TuneCore is their publishing program. They have TuneCore Admin Publishing. So, you know, I've talked a lot about this on the article on the distribution comparison chart on Ari's Take. But I wanted to let you know about these new initiatives that TuneCore is up to and everything that TuneCore is doing. Head over to TuneCore.com, check it out for yourself, sign up for a program, distribute some of your music, and you'll see for yourself. (laughs) 